0: Today's Dead Idea, we're starting our new epic series on Berserkers. That's right, the howling, shield-biting badasses of the Viking Age. Who were these frightening fighters? What were they really like? We're going to be exploring all that and more in our new epic series on Viking Berserkers. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who, before concerts, drives herself into a berserker frenzy by biting her synthesizer. (laughs) Check one, check two. (laughs) I've seen it, (laughs) but it's not pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so actually... To uh, be somewhat historical, biting hard objects, and particularly biting your shield, was a particularly noteworthy feature of the Norse berserker. Also made them pretty undateable. Und- undateable. <laughs> i hate to see their teeth. <laughs> yeah. There's even a famous chess set depicting a berserker biting his shield. Ooh. It's called the Lewis set. It was found on the Isle of Lewis in the Scottish Hebrides, which was settled by Vikings, of course. Wait, this is from back in the day? Yeah. This is like a Hasbro product. No, no, no. <laughs> Comes to the 12th century, and the the rook, you know, the castle piece, is a berserker chomping down on a shield. He's got this, like, crazy, like, look in his Simpson eyes that he's got. They're <laughs> just kind of like, yeah. Uh, you can see that image and more on our website, www.deadideas.net. Find the episode post. We'll have lots of stuff for you to look at there. So, yeah, biting your shield was the end thing to do if you wanted to run with the Berserkers. Now, as for me, I have to admit, I just hate even like biting my fork by accident when I'm eating. I can't imagine <laughs> biting an iron rimmed Viking shield Oof. that sounds just awful. <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of almost wonder if it wasn't, like, a thing that they told the new Berserker he was supposed to do, <laughs> like, as a hazing. Like, oh, yeah, everybody does. You never bit your shield before. It really makes you feel like a man. Just bite down at it real hard. And, then, like, all the other Berserkers got killed, and that's the guy who survived. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, so this
1: is how you Berserk, guys. Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Anyway, with me today is my co-host for the series, Andre Solo. Hey, everybody. I just came in from St. Paul, and boy, are my rolling arms tired. (laughs) Oh! Yeah, that's
1: that's the best I got.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Get ready for like an hour of that, everybody. (laughs) Week. You're not being initiated into the Berserker hosts that way. (laughs) All right. Also, everybody remember we're doing a portrait giveaway for reviews on Stitcher. Details at the end of this episode. Finally, we have an announcement to make. The show has been going on for quite some time now. Dead Ideas has been going strong for about a year and a half, which is ancient in podcast years. Most podcasts are like mayflies, like just a couple of episodes and just never hear from them again. So if you make it past like 10, you're like an old man in podcast (laughs) years. This is going to be episode 81, and uh, we're going to aim to do a total of 100 episodes. That's right. It's better to burn out than fade away. So that is the goal that we're setting for So ourselves. the 100th episode will be the final episode. The final episode. I'm if literally then... crying right now. No. Like, you guys can't see it, but the microphone's getting wet. <laughs> no, but better to burn out than fade away. So anyway, point is, let's make our final shows, which we're going to have more than just this series. There's going to be several series still coming, but let's make our final shows really worth it. Let's Make this podcast worthy of entering Valhalla today. (laughs) All right? Excellent. All right. All right. So in the past, we have touched on the topic of Vikings a couple of times. Uh, Once during our Irish Gaze series and once in our most recent Christmas episode where we read the story of the uh, Icelandic Glaumer, kind of like a Viking vampire creature. So now it's time to finally, like, really do Vikings right. Like, do it for real. And this has been listener requested, so we're pumped to finally do it. Our focus is berserkers. But we are going to talk about more than just that. We're going to explore the whole Viking world in which they lived. We're not going to talk too much about, like, the early Viking Age and the initial raids, because that's already well-trodden ground. You can find that anywhere uh, we are instead going to focus mostly on the late Viking Age around 1000 CE, which almost never gets talked about. So we're finally going to do that period Ooh. justice, and our location of focus will be Iceland because Ooh. fuck yeah, yeah Iceland, <laughs> right? <laughs> How often do you get to hear about Iceland either, right? So and the the key thing here is most of the sagas that feature Berserkers in them, were written in Iceland, and were set around 1000 CE. So, we have a fantastic custom map generated by Adam McKithorn for us, once again, and it's, it's, it's really cool. It yeah. shows all of the geological weirdness of Iceland, like, <laughs> he actually took the time to research at 1000 CE exactly where would the glaciers be, and how wow. much would they cover, and then also, I got him to put on like the active volcanoes and stuff. So wait, they had how many active
1: volcanoes did they have?
0: Uh, I read a statistic of something like thirty active volcanic systems. Wow! And something like fourteen percent of the island is covered in glacier. So, is that. I wow! I know, right? Wait, so does that
1: mean there might be some historical veracity to the claim that most berserkers had a headquarters inside of an active volcano? <laughs> inside of an active
0: volcano <laughs> with laser sharks. Yes. Yeah. Laser bears, maybe? <laughs> laser bears? Laser. laser, laser, wolves. laser
1: well, maybe like a laser walrus when they have a marine life. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, before we start the show, I want to give a big shout out to Professor Roderick Dale. Yes. Who's 456 page thesis on the berserker. I read it all. (laughs) (laughs) I read several pages of it. It It's actually pretty easy to skim. Yeah. But, and he has actually been amazingly responsive. We've actually been able to talk to this guy and he's, like, responded back to us. We've asked him questions. He's responded back. He's awesome. So, huge thank you to Roderick Dale. Alright, so, berserkers. Now, I don't know about you, Andre, but my image that I've always had in my head of the Berserker is basically like, you remember that old Saturday Night Live sketch um, Conan the Librarian with Kevin Nealon? (laughs) 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 Like some guy comes into the library and he's like "Uh, I got a book that's overdue and he's just like and he like just beheads him. (laughs) Right. You know, just that frenzied animalistic, roid-rage kind of a character, pretty much (laughs) just straight up the barbarian class from Dungeons & Dragons.
1: Yeah, and I also have to say that 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 image has, like, ruined so many D&D sessions for me because the guy playing the barbarian always thinks he has to do, like, the dumbest thing
0: possible. (laughs) Yes. You can hold back for, like, one minute. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it we're going to find out that the truth of how they're depicted in the sagas and then the truth of how they really were in history... Oh, There's so many layers of complication. The, ones, the more you dig into this, the more complicated it becomes. Right. So we're going to get totally into that today in this episode.
1: So you're saying that Berserkers were tough on the outside, but they had a sensitive side. A
0: well. <laughs> sensitive side. I <laughs> yes. think it was tough all the way through, yeah. as far as I can tell. They were reading Norse romance novels <laughs> the, uh, on those long, long ship voyages. You had to do something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Our main source of depictions of Berserkers is the Old Norse sagas, uh, mainly from Iceland. Because these things are just littered with Berserkers. Out of 40 total surviving Icelandic sagas, 14 of them feature Berserkers. That's like a third of them have a Berserker in them, and some of them have many Berserkers in them. They are commonly shown with a number of distinguishing traits, including the shield-biting, the howling... Also, the ability to blunt weapons with a gaze. Oh, wow. Uh, and also invulnerability to fire and edged weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Which is Which, curious. It's, it's curious.
1: <laughs> uh, I think the way they put it is invulnerable to, like, swords and fire, right? Or iron and
0: fire, something like that. But then yeah, they get and, beaten to death sometimes by just bludgeoning. It that's Yes. So interestingly, they are not invulnerable to bludgeoning weapons for some reason. Right. So it, clearly it pays to read the monster manual entry on that. Were... You know, they've got <laughs> vulnerability to uh, bludgeoning weapons, but you know, immunity to uh, pierced and, and slashing weapons. Which is still a pretty good package. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I would take that set yeah, of I'd, immunities. I'd, yeah, I'd take yeah. it. But like I said, as we'll soon see, all of this being the, the standard depiction, it, it becomes a lot more complicated once you start to dig into it. In fact, when I started reading these actual stories about them, I was really surprised and perplexed by what I would find. So let's go ahead and just jump right into a story about them. This one comes from Grete Saga, which is the same saga that we read from in that Christmas episode about the Draugr. Uh, Like most sagas, it was composed roughly around the 13th century, so that's several centuries after the Viking Age ended. Keep that in mind. We'll talk about what that means for the historicity of their depictions later. But for now, let's just see how they are depicted. So this short snippet features a berserker named Snackle. (laughs) Snackle? (laughs) Snackle. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So Snackle and his gang of ruffians are trying to intimidate a farmer in the scene into handing over his wife. And if he doesn't, Snackle is going to challenge him to the homgang, or duel. Hmm. In which the farmer is almost certainly going to get his ass handed to him. But he can't refuse without shame either. So he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, That's a a devil's choice. It's a tough choice. And so in this scene, he's trying to decide what to do when along comes the hero of the story, Gretir. Hmm. The berserk was sitting on his horse, wearing a helmet with the cheek guards unfastened and carrying an iron rimmed shield. His demeanor was terrifying. And then Snekol says to the farmer, who's trying to decide whether to hand over his daughter to him, Be quick! Make your choice, one way or the other. Then the berserker Snekol nods toward the hero Greter, who has just happened along, and says, What does that big fellow standing beside you advise? Does he want some sport with me? To which Greter responds, Farmers like Aynar and me are much of a muchness. Neither of us are keen on fighting. You'll be really terrified of fighting me if I get angry, says Snackle. But Gretter says, We won't know that till we put it to the test. (laughs) (laughs) And now here's how the scene plays out. Quoting again. The berserk thought that all this talk was just a delaying tactic. So he began to howl loudly and bite the rim of his shield. Just, You know? (laughs) Raising the shield to his mouth, he grimaced horribly over the rim as though he was mad. Then, Greter hurled himself forward until he drew level with the berserk's horse. Then he kicked the bottom of Snickle's shield so hard that it ripped through his mouth, (laughs) shattering his jaw, and the jaw bones fell down to his chest. At one and the same time, Greter grasped the viking's helmet with his left hand, and pulled him off his horse, Well, with his right hand he drew his short sword, struck the berserker on the neck, and beheaded him. Wow. Yes. So this
1: berserker could be beheaded by a sword.
0: Uh, mm? but I But I
1: love how right away they're like, oh yeah, you're sticking your shield in your teeth? Well, I've got a surprise for you. They I went right know. there. First I... thing we thought of, first thing they thought of.
0: I know. I know. So it's like, oh, this isn't quite how I thought it was going to go, <laughs> right? What happened to all those cool abilities? Right. And it's like, huh? So this is just the first taste of how uh, unexpectedly these stories go. and right. And it's going to be like, why? It's going to be the main question hmm. today. So a paragraph later in the story, Gretter boasts of this deed to his brother with a poem. And if you were going to be badass in a Viking saga, what you wanted to do was compose a verse. Yeah. And that was just like, oh, you are the badass. If you can (laughs) say something in verse, you're really cool. So he says, A quick kick shoved the shield straight into Snickle's menacing mouth. The iron-bound buckler tore the tooth wall in two. The jaw's broken bones dropped down to his breast.
1: <laughs> I'm assuming that sounds just beautiful in in the original language.
0: Yeah, yeah. we try in the English it's like Eminem style. Yeah, you right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's all about alliteration in okay. uh, in Old Norse poetry. Yeah. And anyway, that was the end of Snekol the Berserker. That's all we know about him, and that's more than we get about most berserkers. <laughs> so, boom. <bleep. laughs> <laughs> I like Snuckle. Yeah. I
1: think a cool name, and, you know, he was a real
0: go-getter. He's like, he was yeah. not afraid to act first and think it through later. That's how you <laughs> get results. As we know from any Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> player who plays a barbarian.
1: <laughs> yeah, although they
0: usually come out better than having their jaw ripped off. I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. usually true. So what do we really learn from this little vignette, right? Um, we can see some common tropes, for example. He does the howling. He leers menacingly. He says, you won't like me when I'm angry, like Ooh. some kind of incredible Hulk, you know. He does the weird biting of the rim of his shield kind of thing. As if, almost as if to be like, don't you know I'm loco kind of a thing, you know. <laughs> anyway, after he does this whole little show, the entire rest of the scene is only about, how oh, the hero takes him down. that That's like the entire rest of the action, right? right? It's not at all about, look at this amazing thing he can do in battle. It's not. It doesn't show anything that he can do good Mm. in battle. Right. It's how does the hero kill him? Huh. Yeah. And that's how it tends to go in just about every freaking berserker story ever found. (laughs) In the sagas, berserkers are almost always basically just orcs (laughs) that are only there for the hero to make his name. Hmm. Like, I took down a berserker. Um, you know, just, just there for the experience points, basically, you right. know?
1: And I like, I actually like that analogy because in a way it's sort of like they're just there for the rep. I mean, if, if berserkers have a reputation of being these extreme badasses, all you need is one story saying that you took down a berserker and now your reputation's made.
0: Right. But it's also like every fantasy story where the orcs don't get shown doing anything awesome. Right. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it's just, they get, they get to be killed. Hmm. Um, They're supposedly badass, but then they just fall down. Yeah. So it's like, what the hell's going on? Exactly. Stormtroopers. Yeah. So, in fact, the berserker baddie is such a common trope that most stories don't even describe them even doing their berserker thing. In any respect. They just say, he was a berserker, and, you know, the next line is, he's dead. Wow! (laughs) The red shirts of the world. Yeah, the the red shirts of the Norse sagas were the berserkers. It was weird. You know, it's like, so-and-so was a berserker, or King Huzitz, What had X number of berserkers in his army. Usually it's 12 for some reason. And by the next scene, they're just dead. <laughs> in fact, it's extremely rare ever to even find a story where a berserker's abilities seem to pay off, like I mentioned. Hmm. One of the very few instances that I was able to find comes from one of my favorite sagas, Gunghrolf's Saga. Okay. And it features my favorite berserker of all time. His name is Thord Lasso Pate. And it's lasso because he comes from the island of Lasso off the coast of Denmark, and pate because he has this bald pate, a bald head. Okay, yeah. So his name is really Thord Lassohead. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, there's something magical about his head. So this is a quote from Gungnirolf's saga. Thord Lasso Pate went like a champion against Sturlug's men, bearing his naked skull. But though they struck at it with swords and axes, they made no mark, and he went forward unshaken. The Norwegians, forty of Sturlug's men, turned on him together, but he held them off like a true hero. Wow. Yeah, so he's got magical invulnerable baldness, <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty, that's another pretty cool package that I would take. Yeah, if you have to go bald, that's like, I mean, yeah, yeah why like not? like a natural helmet, so that's pretty cool. He's compared to a champion, which may come back later. Right. Yeah, I think in the part that you're going to take up, you might mention that. That may come up, yeah. Yep. Swords and axes bounce right off his bald head. He takes on 40 men, but they can't touch him. You know, this guy's cool. It's it's like, finally, you get to see a berserker being cool. But even so, all of this is really just narrative build-up for when the hero steps in. Here's another quote. Sturlog saw the great damage Thord was doing him, what with his men nearly routed and a number of them dead. He sought out Thord, who turned to meet him, and a long and bitter combat followed between them before Sturlog could land a blow. It caught Thord on the pate, and the sword proved as good as ever for it split his head wide open and went straight through the trunk so that he fell to the ground in two halves.
1: <laughs> I love it when these ancient European stories do this, like, splitting a guy in two stuff. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's obscenely common. It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> what I hate, though, is that, like, he hit. The, I could see if, like, he caught him in the shoulder and split it in half. He right hits him in the head, his only good spot. Yeah. And then it just, like... It's like, well, why? It didn't say that the magic, the sword, it didn't say that the sword was magical. It's like, what's so special about Sturlog? Was he like a 20th level fighter and he had like gained the ability to ignore (laughs) immunity to this berserker power or what? He just like, he's the hero. He gets to take down the berserker. Yawn.
1: I kind of, I'm starting to think that the entire berserker myth is just based on like teaching Norse children, like to be skeptics. You know, like, what? if someone promises you a bunch of powers, they don't work. <laughs> all the bad guys' need stories, they oh. all thought they had a superpower, but when push came to shove, it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go with it. It's the Scooby-Doo of the Viking world. Scooby,
0: the Scooby-Doo sagas.
1: <laughs> Scuba saga. Yes. Yes.
0: Scoobaldson. Yes. Um, one of the very few exceptions to the rule of the Berserker being the opponent, the fodder, The only one, in fact, that I could find where Berserker is the main character is Egil's saga. In Egil's saga, the hero Egil Skola Grimson is prone to going berserk himself, as was his father and his father before him. His grandfather's name was Kveldolf, by the way, which means night wolf, which is like, yeah. So Egil is a berserker in a long line of berserkers, but even so... It's it's really just stays as part of his backstory. It's not pivotal to the plot, never gains him any advantage in the story, and it really only serves as a slight complication to his character.
1: I I would disagree s- with
0: that in, in Engels saga. Okay. Do you think of a time when that wasn't the case? Yeah,
1: I so I mean so I'm just gonna preface this by saying it's not real clear. Which of the different things that are his characteristics are meant to be, like, because he berserks, this is something he can do. Versus which ones are, like, because Eggle's a weird, badass, misshapen dude, this is something he can do. Okay. But there's definitely a scene where, like, he is kind of taken outnumbered and and sort of fighting for his life. And somebody clubs him over the head with an axe or something that just breaks off his impenetrable head. Right. Yes. Okay. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Into the disease thing? Yeah. Okay. I mean, this will be the part for it. Yeah. So, uh, Egil is that how? Am I saying it right now?
0: Yeah. Egil. Egil. Okay. Yeah. I looked up Old Norse pronunciation at least a little bit, so That's I'm awesome. probably way off, but i have still. a lot of questions.
1: Right. The short version is he, among his many adventures, which mostly involved him just ticking people off because he was basically a grumpy pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had these this reputation. Actually, I think it was his his father and maybe his grandfather as well, but like his in his family, this was a thing where these guys were surprisingly big. They had huge heads, like their heads were just misshapenly large in the lore surrounding him. We we know where he was buried, and supposedly sometime after he was buried, several, many generations later, one of his descendants in Iceland wanted to, because of this legendary, like his legendary ability to like his huge head and his misshapen, they wanted to know what the heck he looked like, basically. And I think they were planning to exhume his body and move it from one church to another church as they expanded the parish or something like that. So while they were exhuming it, they're like, well, I want to open up this casket and see the guy. And when they pulled out his skull, and this is all in lore, this is not like a documented modern thing, right? Mm-hmm. When they pulled out his skull generations after his death, it was definitely a human skull, but it was, um, it was gigantic, as stated in his story. And it was badly misshapen. And what stood out is it had these weird patterns on it, as if almost like, um, like ridges had been growing along the outside of his skull, very misshapen and painful looking, and it was very thick. And the grandson actually, like, wanted to see if, or great-grandson or whatever, like, how strong is this? Because, like, supposedly he took an axe blow to the head and, like, had to set it on a fence post and, like, take blows at it with an axe to try to break it in half. <laughs> when he eventually did break it in half, it was, like, a weird, like, super thick skull. Now, that all still sounds like just folklore, but there's been some speculation by some by a medievalist and maybe some others recently that, actually, if you look at a real disease called, I'm going to maybe mispronounce this, Puget's disease... Mm-hmm. That that's basically what that disease does. It's a uh, potentially... Eventually, skull thick? Among other things, yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a congenital condition, so it could be inherited in the family. It is uh, It thickens the skull, and you tend to have a large head. Mm-hmm. But unlike hydrocephalus, it's the, the head is large because the skull is thickening. That thickened skull has ridges and, and gnarly growths on the outside, which would lead to a misshapen appearance. It would be definitely going to give you terrible headaches. People with diseases have horrible migraines. Mm-hmm. So, like, a lot of the things that are described as eagles, just, like, maybe it's because he's a berserker. Maybe it's just because he's e- sorry, eagle. Maybe it's just because he's eagle. A lot of those things actually match up pretty well with Poggett's disease. And it's at least speculated, this is speculation, that he might have actually had a, a head so thick that he did take an axe blow and the axe
0: just bounced off. So so the connection then would be, speculatively, maybe Berserker stories of the invulnerability could have been like started with his family and grown from there, or maybe people like him, something like yeah, that. Yeah, or maybe just
1: some like genetic condition or disease i mean there was a lot of lore around people who didn't have bodies like the rest of everybody's bodies back in the day i mean that Mm -hmm. was a big part of the whole changeling thing in ireland although not the whole story there um so yeah i'm not saying that necessarily every berserker in myth was based on somebody who had a um a disability or some or some case of paget's disease but it's at least it's it's speculated when the other guy has a head that's supposed to be like super strong and invulnerable i'm like huh, that's interesting that echoes eagle again right yeah
0: okay so that that's a possible connection, right? <laughs> right. So the point being that, okay, so there's like maybe rare instances right. where you get to see Berserkers being awesome, right? And having their abilities pay off for them, right? Mm-hmm. But even still, it's still pretty rare, right? Right. Okay. So so what I really wanted to know when I started you know, researching into this is, what the hell? Like, why, right? What, what was the Berserker like for real? Why are they always baddies? And what's going on in these stories, right? So our next story gives us a clue to why that might actually be. This also comes from a saga. Uh, This is from Njal's Saga, which is one of the most badass sagas that there is, by the way. This story has a theme that's shared by almost all of the sagas, but whereas in most this theme may be muted or simply implied, in this one it's pretty explicit, at least in these few chapters. So these chapters feature a man named Thangbrand, who's not Norse, he's a Saxon missionary, Christian missionary. But he goes up against a berserker after arriving in Iceland. Um, In combat or like to just like shame him into being Christian or what? Well, you'll see. Okay. So so Thangbrand, the missionary, is actually sent to Iceland by the king of Norway. That's Christian at this point Mm. to try to spread Christianity in Iceland. So Thangbrand, as we saw, is here to spread the new faith. And that is a tough job imagine yourself being a missionary of this religion of like mercy and meekness. And you're going to go try to convince Vikings to join up. That's a tough sell. So (laughs) what he does is he spins it, right? He doesn't mention the meekness and the mercy at all. That's not how he's depicted here. Instead, he says, first of all, he says, St. Michael, is going to record for all time, the good things that you do. Cause like he writes down the deeds, you know, yeah. he reads, you know, so it's like St. Michael is like the super scald of Christianity. Okay. It's like in a your saga. Secondly, he fights a duel holding a crucifix instead of a shield. So well, it's like Christ is my shield. Right. Right. And so the, what he's doing there is making the Christian God basically look like the ultimate warrior God. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, with this tactic, He starts to make some headway, finally. But many of the chieftains and warriors that he's trying to convert are still quite skeptical. Finally, Thengbrand comes to a hall with a chieftain named Guest, who welcomes him in, but there's unwelcome company on the way to the hall. It says, It was reported that 200 heathens were already there in the hall, expecting the arrival of a berserker. (laughs) The berserker was named Otrig and all were sore afraid of him. Remarkable stories were told of him, as, for example, that he feared neither fire nor sword. The heathens feared him greatly. And it doesn't explain why this Otrig is on his way and hostile. There is a tradition of berserkers entering halls unbidden and challenging those inside to a duel. Usually in the tradition it's around Yule tide. There's some kind of like a seasonal thing I think going on. It's like a good on, time for duel. Like I mean that. I'm pretty yeah. done with life right around the middle of December. It doesn't mention that or what time of year it is in this saga, so okay. who's to say? Right. But in any case, it says Then Thangbrand asked whether the people wished to accept the faith, but all the heathens were opposed to it. So Thangbrand says. I'll give you the opportunity of testing which faith is best," said Thangbrand. "We will kindle 3 fires. You heathen men shall hallow one fire, and I will hallow the second. But the third shall remain unhallowed. If the berserker is afraid of the fire which I hallow, but walks through your fire, then you shall accept the faith."
1: Wait, so it's like who whose fire is Yes.
0: Yeah, so is so Remember, berserkers are supposed to be like they have mastery over fire, right? Right. right. So, which fire is actually going to burn the berserker is right. the question. So, if he hallows the one fire with, you know, in the name of Christ, yeah. and that overcomes the berserker's invulnerability, it shows the the superior power of of the Christian God, right. basically. And That's the other the
1: fire is hallowed in the name of the Norse gods.
0: Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It.
1: Wow. This seems like an appropriate time for, like, in in just, like, brutal, like, Game of Thrones fashion, someone just to throw the missionary into his own fire. (laughs) Oh, surprising (laughs) turn of the I like how everybody just follows the rules, like, okay, yeah, we'll just do this contest. Like,
0: (laughs) that's cool. Anyway, so Guest, the chieftain, and the owner of the hall says, that is a good suggestion. I'll agree to that in behalf of my household and myself.
1: Hmm.
0: After Guest had spoken thus, many others agreed to it also. Now it was reported... That the berserker was coming up to the house, and so the fires were kindled, and they burned brightly. And it seems to be implied that somehow the fires are positioned so that when you're coming in the house, you have to go through the fires in order to get to anybody else. Oh, interesting. That's, kind of, that's kind of how the narrative ends right. up going. They're not going to try to get his buy-in on this. They're just like, listen, right. if you want me, you yeah. got to come through the fires. Got to come through yeah. the fires. Right. The men took their weapons and leapt up on the benches, and there awaited his approach the berserker rushed into the hall fully armed and immediately strode through the fire which the heathens had hallowed. So it doesn't hurt him at all. However, when he came to the fire which Thangbrand had hallowed, he dared not stride through it for he said that he was on fire from head to toe. So he hadn't even gone into the fire yet and he already felt like he was burning. Right, right. Yeah. So that's how much more powerful the Christian fire is in this story. Then after that, he tries to fight the men on the benches, but his sword gets caught in the roof crossbeam somehow. It's like, he rolls a one, apparently, and he, <laughs> <laughs> he fumbles. Um, and then at that point, Thangbrand wades into the fight, and it says, Thangbrand struck him on the hand with his crucifix, and a great wonder happened. The sword fell from the hand of the berserker. Then Thangbrand thrust his sword through his breast, and Gudleaf hewed off his arm. Gudleaf was another guy. Then many others came up and slew the berserker. And that's the end of Otrik the Berserker. it's just
1: rough being a berserker. It's rough being
0: a berserker.
1: Oh
0: my gosh! Yeah. So the,
1: the hidden think it was like just like nobody wanted to sign up for this. Like every family was supposed <laughs> to send like one kid to become yeah, a berserker, and they're, like, no, and they're just like, "I'm good." Oh, no, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So the hidden context here that explains a lot of the other sagas seems to be centered around this whole religious conflict thing here. This, to me, at least explains why the sagas, written in the 13th century, several centuries into Christianization, always seem to show the berserker as the baddies.
1: That makes a lot of
0: sense. Mm-hmm.
1: So are you suggesting that, hypothetically, if we had stories that had come down to us that had not gone through the, the hands of Christian tellers or editors, the berserkers might be like really
0: badass and cool, like I can, the good guys? I can only speculate. Right. But yeah, that would be my suspicion. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's actually really interesting because, and this is not... Definitive, Mm -hmm. but there is some there's some evidence to suggest that berserkers are maybe not all, but at least some berserkers, if not berserkers in general, were connected to the god Odin. So in the sense that like both Odin's retinue is supposed to include berserkers, which okay, well retinues have berserkers, but also mentioned
0: in Snorri Sturluson, but I don't think it's mentioned anywhere else to my knowledge. Well, that's the other interesting thing is that there is the do you remember the name of the bronze plates? The torslinda plates. Right,
1: so that's the other thing is that the torslinda plates, which were basically used to make helmet decorations, if I recall, uh-huh. um, show a bunch of scenes that seem to relate around berserker initiation and include the god Odin. Well, um, yes, that's is, how they interpret is how it's figure, being interpreted. So. so there's at least some evidence to suggest that there may have been a an Odin connection. I mean, if these berserkers were not just badass warriors, but also were you know initiated and got their
0: their powers under one of the quote-unquote heathen gods, then they would be particularly hostile to Christianity. Exactly. So in my opinion, what's really going on here is a culture war. Yeah. Yeah. So the 13th century is a couple of centuries into the Christian period, but you got to remember that it takes a long time to fully Christianize a population. So you might convert, like, the leaders, right? And that gets your foot in the door. But it takes a long time to disseminate everything down to the like the common man that's way out on the heath somewhere. In fact, right. that's where the word heathen comes from. Mm. Those those country bumpkins out on the heath who haven't yet heard the word of God. Right. Same thing with the word pagan, which I'm just going to use interchangeably here. Pagan was something that the Romans called the people who lived out in the countryside that didn't live in the city where the Christians live, but they hadn't heard the word of God yet or mm. accepted it. So it takes quite some time for that to really sink into a culture. And so by the 13th century, I can imagine that maybe, you know, maybe the majority of the population is Christian by then, but you still have, you know, lingerings of the old ways that you're still probably... Resisting and fighting against, right? And you need you need your skalds to be kind of like on your side and writing stories that are like the Christians are the good guys, right? You know, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's it's almost kind of like to me, I see these sagas as filling a similar role to like an American Western movie, where in the American Western, by the time we were making Western movies, we had already like taken over all of you know what is today America, basically mainland America, from the Native Americans. But it was still somehow part of our culture and necessary to show the cowboy, the European-descended cowboy, kicking the shit out of the Native American. And in this case, it's a similar thing, except it's not cowboys and Indians. It's Christians and heathens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my my little personal pet theory. I I think that's very likely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there is evidence that it was the berserker was associated with the old heathen ways. Not just what you mentioned, right. but also a few years into the 11th century, so just just after the period we're talking about, you start to get laws written down and such, like the Grogos laws, which are uh, the Grey Goose laws from Iceland. And uh, they outlaw going berserk. They outlaw going berserk. And interestingly, the punishment for going berserk is exactly the same punishment as if you were caught practicing pagan ways oh
1: interesting yeah it's
0: lesser outlawry which means you get banished for like three years okay so it's not permanent i imagine like if you repent as a pagan you can come back in you know and the similar thing with the berserkers if you give up your berserk ways all right we'll accept you back into the fold but basically it's drawing an interesting parallel there between the wow the berserkers and the pagans Yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold in the theory. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And by the way, just because we brought up uh, the lesser outlawry thing and its connection to religion, it wasn't just the Christians who did this. This was already a precedent, even in heathen times. Because, and this is a funny, this is a good scene that I like, right? Lesser outlawry uh, was already being used as a punishment for blaspheming the Norse gods. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and the sagas say, uh, this is in Njal's Saga and a number of other sagas, so um, it's probably, it's got some kind of a root in history, probably. Um, the sagas say that one of the early converts to Christianity, a chieftain named Hjalti Scegjason, spoke a verse about the goddess Freya that went like this. And I'll read the actual Old Norse of it, and then I'll translate. Oh, cool. Yeah. Vík ek ægí godgíja, grí thíkí mea and that means, nice. I have no desire to bark at the gods, but I consider Freya a bitch. Whoa! <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that... that is
1: like the most egregious case of like, no offense, but... Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, right? And he got outlawed for three years <laughs> for this. And not only because this is just... A horrible thing to say that's going to offend lots of people, right. but also because he said it in verse and there was like a spellbinding mm. quality to verse. Right. So it's like double bad. Yeah. <laughs> for the rest of his life, anytime anything went wrong for him, like I would be like, oh, that's Freya getting her revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. So anyway, the point is that going berserk was associated with the old faith. So basically the berserkers were victims of a Christian propaganda campaign, in my opinion. And once you take this perspective, it starts to open up a lot of interesting questions. For example, you can ask, were the berserkers really that terrifying the way they depicted? Or was it the Christian writers making them look like orcs? Hmm. Were were they, you know, made up like a Hollywood baddie, you know, by the Skalds? So beneath all that propaganda, what were the berserkers like for real? So if we want to try to read against the grain here it's tough to do it in literature because most of it comes from the Christian period. We have to try to dig deeper somehow. And one way that we can do that, here's where your cue is coming in, one way we can do that is by looking at the etymology of the word itself. The word in Old Norse is berserker. The singular is berserker and the plural is berserkir. Hmm. And when you look at the etymology of the two roots, ber, and circ it can be interesting and illuminating in a way. And now, Andre, I know that you right. have personally dug into this quite a bit, so I'm going to let you be the star of the show here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this word, I think, at least if, if anybody listening is like me, mm-hmm. I thought I already knew what this word literally meant. Because we have in the word, language. like going berserk. We have that well, in English, But I actually right? thought I knew where the word came from, like what oh. it meant in, in Old Norse. Okay. Many people are, are going to think that it that, that that compound word means something like bear shirt. Like somebody who's wearing a shirt or a hide made of bear. Made of right? the animal like the bear. The animal bear. Like lions, yeah. tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. And that is possibly the case. <laughs> um, but it turns out that is far, far, far from certain. And so I'm going to go through the two possible origins of the word berserker. Why the heck each one of them might make sense. And sort of which one is the prevailing theory right now. Okay. Okay, so uh, as Brennan said, uh, absolutely, the word berserker comes from bear and serker. Okay, but the problem is that there's two possible words that could be that bear in the Mm -hmm. first part. The first one is the word bear, which means bear, the animal, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Mm -hmm. And that is what, uh, if you put those two together, you would get the idea that these berserkers were known for wearing bear skin or
0: bear hide. Because mm-hmm. bear sark, is like bear shirt, right?
1: sark is like a shirt or a tunic or potentially a coat of armor. So mm-hmm. it's it's a bear hide that you're wearing, mm-hmm. um, and that is the image that I think a lot of us who have who've have been steeped in fantasy have that this is a person who is draped in animal hides, and that's their shtick. Is maybe they even have like a bear like shamanic connection or something like that? Mm-hmm. That's all. That's just me reading in and kind of drawing on fantasy tropes. But that's the image that I had. Mm-hmm. Right. The other way you mm-hmm. could take bearserk or Berserker is another word bear which means bear as in bare naked mm-hmm. and just like in english those two words sound the same Well, in old norse those two words if they both existed also sounded the same mm. and what's interesting is that the word bearserker as in bear shirted so like this, if you put these two together it's sort of like you are down to your bear shirt you're not wearing anything over your shirt you're fighting without armor right without armor so yeah. that's that's the implication. Um, is that it, it, that particular version of Berserker is actually the one that Snorri himself tells us is what the word means. And writing in the early 13th century, mm-hmm. um, he, he claims that this is where the word comes from. And uh, that is not necessarily as authoritative as it sounds. You, you <laughs> might think to yourself, like, well, yeah, if, if the guy himself who's writing the saga said this is what it means, that's what it means. The problem is that, that folk etymology back in the medieval period, sometimes they got it right, but a lot of times they were relying on guesswork. They yeah. were relying on what, what made sense metaphorically, two words that sound similar but don't have the same root. They didn't necessarily have accurate etymology. Right. So we can't take that at face value. So I want to talk just briefly about kind of the pros and cons of each of these two interpretations. <laughs> and I just want to say thanks again to Roderick Dale for really helping us out on this. I'm basically just paraphrasing what he said. Roderick, if we get anything wrong, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but all the information he gave us is gold. Um, so the 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 problem with the word bearserk, as in like somebody wearing a bear hide, is that that root word bear, meaning bear, the animal, may not have existed in the Norse language at that time. Right. At the very least, we have no evidence it existed. It's not attested anywhere. There's no word we know of that means bear the animal that sounds like bear. -hmm. Now, there are some similar related
0: words. There's
1: a word for a female bear. There's a word for a little baby bear that kind of sounds similar. I think
0: the word bjorn, which is a common name, means bear. Yeah, I don't know if that came in later or not. Oh,
1: yeah, you're saying that that would be a later, or sorry, that would be be a different different group potentially. Yeah, as far as from the attested words, the word that they used for bear, the Mm -hmm. animal, was a different word. It's not something bear. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would then seem a little unlikely, maybe, that.
0: That would be what it means. Mm-hmm. They had speculated that they, it was a borrowed word from German at the time. Yeah.
1: yeah. So that's like the it, thing is, like, that starting in the 1800s, linguists proposed that, well, maybe that word did exist in the language at the time, even though it's not attested. And they have some pretty good uh, reasons for that. I mean, they're drawing on there were similar words in other languages. Like you said, it may have been a lone war- word. Um, and so they kind of reconstructed that this, this proposed word, bear, meaning bear the animal. But we don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big strike against it. The other one is that there's just not a ton of... I'll put it this way. There's, there's plenty of places where bears show up in Berserker stories. And there's even one place where Berserker turns into a bear. Mm-hmm. But there are just as many, if not more, associations with other animals, such as wolves. Mm-hmm. And there's literally another word for Berserker that they basically use interchangeably. Hedgin." Am I saying that right? I think it's more like Ulfhithnar. Okay. Or near, maybe. Ulfhevner. Something uh, like that. So the the other word, Ulfhevner, is also a word basically for Berserker. They're used interchangeably in the stories. And that word literally means um, wolfskin. So that's not very bear-like. On the <laughs> other hand, I mean, another point in its favor, you know, people who wear wolfskins, people who wear bearskins, that sounds pretty similar. So <laughs> it's a mixed bag whether you want to right. call it the bear shirt or not. It's in the animal realm, at least. Yeah, right. Um, the other word, bare shirted um, as in, like, you are only wearing your shirt, or I suppose you could just imagine it's just a topless dude with nothing on. <laughs> that one... It has some points in its favor as well because, first of all, it actually does make sense in the language that we know existed at that time. So, like, it's a proven word. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of cases, as as Roderick Jell pointed out, there's not really a situation where, like, a berserker stops to take his armor off in any stories. Mm -hmm. But there are multiple references where a berserker is described as not wearing armor in a fight or something like that. And that comes Mm -hmm. from the Lieberman paper. Okay. Yeah. So... That seems to make sense with the lore as well, possibly more so than wearing something related to bears, and it's an attested word. Mm -hmm. On the way to the evidence, the general opinion, what we've been told at least, is that the the majority of scholars are going to, if they had to choose one or the other, they're going to go with the bear the animal. It means somebody wearing a bear shirt, a bear hide, something like that. But it's very clear that, I mean, no one's really certain. Mm -hmm. So we can't say definitively that that is what it means. And this brings me to maybe the more important point, though, which is that what it meant to the audience at the time is not necessarily the same thing as what its etymology is. It could have been the word bare naked and shirted, or it could have been the word bearskin as a shirt, literally speaking. But what the audience may have heard could be something very different. Roderick Dale proposes that the best translation for the word berserker has nothing to do with either one of those. It just simply means champion. That's Mm -hmm. it. Um, Which would make sense with the, you know, in the pre-Christian era, maybe there were these badass revered warriors, and certainly they appear in king's courts in plenty of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, you could just say it translates as badass dude, right? I mean, it's like, (laughs) they're not always champions and heroes. (laughs) Sometimes they're the bad guy, the bandit, the thing you have to kill, the orcs, Mm -hmm. but they're always considered badass. Mm -hmm. And it could just mean that when, as the audience, when you hear those words, Mm -hmm. you're just hearing badass or champion. You're not thinking to yourself like, oh, it's a dude wearing this.
0: Right. Just like when we say the word Thursday, we don't think of Thor's day. Right. Right. So it's a a dead metaphor, I think is what it's called. Exactly. I
1: mean, consciously, I know that, for example, the word email, I know what it means. It means electronic mail. Right. But when you say the word, I don't consciously think of outstamped letter and like electricity. I just think of the thing you type up. Right. Right. So that could be what the audience was going through is that they had their own word or their their own sense of what Berserker meant that may have not had much to do with its
0: etymology. Yeah, it's always a tricky business trying to draw too much meaning out of an etymology kind yeah. of a thing going right. on. So, yeah, now, what yeah we, meanings change over time. Yeah,
1: absolutely. What we can say that the audience did associate with this word, uh, as best we know, and again, we we can't be exactly sure how they would have interpreted the word champion. Mm-hmm. Like, when you and I say champion, we might picture a dude in boxer shorts holding up a trophy. <laughs> That's not what they pictured. What did they picture? <laughs> Well, they seem to have pictured a really tough warrior who could survive
0: things other warriors could not survive Mm -hmm. and was feared. And also you could uh, stand in for a king if somebody challenged the king to a duel. You were the king's champion. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And I think there's also plenty of room here to to say that potentially both... uh, I mean, the problem is that both etymologies make sense. But the reason for that is they do show up without armor in some stories They do often have an association with killing wolves or killing bears, Mm -hmm. or in one case, turning into a a fierce animal, Mm -hmm. and in many cases, wearing fur. So, like, it could be that they don't wear armor, they do wear fur, and they have some kind of relationship with badass animals. Yeah. We don't know.
0: There's even one case where there's a Viking who stays, a berserker, who stays behind in the battle to lie down and project his spirit. Into the battle in the form of a bear.
1: Yeah, I think that's the one he's referring to, where
0: the guy be, quote unquote became a bear. Yeah. I yeah, think so. exactly. yeah yes. Exactly. Um, yes. They're most, said to be mm-hmm. hum-rummer, which means shape strong. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or hide strong.
1: And I wanted, I and I love that story, and I'm familiar with that one. I just want to point out though that that is so in the minority of what we're looking at here. I mean, the majority of yeah. situations are either the berserker's killing a wolf or killing a bear. Yeah. That's it. There's not a lot of shape-shifting or anything else. I think a lot of people think of it as, like, oh, Berserkers, they were these shape-shifting. They go into a trance, a battle trance. They had a bear totem or a wolf totem. (laughs) It's like, maybe
0: that's possible. But the evidence for that is slim to zero. Yeah. 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 It... Yeah, it's it's difficult to draw a firm conclusion. Right. Yeah. I Roderick mean, Dale's his quote to us was, I'm not willing to die on a hill for this theory. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. that pretty much sums it up pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'll just wrap by saying that um, despite all of that, there is definitely, uh, you know, etymology aside, there is definitely some stuff going on with. Um, especially wolves and dogs um, mm-hmm. being kind of part of the symbolism of a berserker, and yes, also bears, and we're going to get into that in a later episode. Yes. it's going to be a lot that, of fun.
0: That's coming. Andre is going to head up that episode. Yeah. We're going to go so. down that tunnel as yeah. far as it'll take us. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's a good teaser yeah. for that one. So let's, uh, let's continue with the with the berserker itself for this episode and try to dig down even deeper into what they might have been because this doesn't yet exhaust the concepts of what a berserker may have actually been. Okay, so uh, that was etymology and a little bit of like the archaeological kind of stuff with like the Torslunda plates and things. Um, um, if we want to get to anything that's actually like a historical record... We have very slim pickings, as I said, most of it's from the Christian record, but we do have at least one that I know of. The earliest uh, reference to it in literature is from a Skaldic poem from the late 9th century, which is smack in the middle of the Viking Age. And this is from Harald that's the name of the Skaldic poem, and here's how it goes. I'll ask of the berserks, you tasters of blood, those intrepid heroes, how are they treated? those who wade out into battle. Wolf-skinned they are called. In battle they bear bloody shields. Red with blood are their spears when they come to fight. They form a closed group. The prince, in his wisdom, puts trust in such men who hack through enemy shields. So there, it says they're wolf-skinned. So that connects back to what you were saying with the animal thing, but not necessarily a bear. But... We'll save that whole connection for your episode. (laughs) What I want to focus on in this bit is how they fight. Because how they fight here doesn't fit at all the Conan the Librarian vision that I had of what a berserker is, right? So let's take a look at it. It says they wait out into battle. They bear bloody shields. Okay. They form a closed group. If you have a bunch of people like raging in a berserk frenzy, are you going to do that in a closed group? That seems kind of weird, right, to fight in, like, close formation. I would think you'd want to be, like, spread out and, like, otherwise you're going to hit each other. Mm -hmm. And who hack through enemy shields, right? So there's a lot of focus here on actually more like a defensive style of fighting in closed ranks, in closed groups. I mentioned shields twice. They bear bloody shields and they hack through enemy shields. It says they fight in closed groups, which sounds like two shield walls going at each other. Yes. And if you think of a shield wall, we've got nice depictions in media now and like, the show Vikings from the History Channel and, like, Lost Kingdom and a bunch of others. It's like you overlap your shields and, you know, you make almost like a... Tortoise, kind of like an impenetrable wall of shields, and then you just go at each other. And that form of fighting, the shield walls hit, and you try to push the other over, and then in the meantime, you're like trying to like jab between the shields to get the other guys with your spear and your sword, but it's mostly about this very tight, very disciplined defensive formation. Not, it is nothing that would benefit from being in a, a like a crazy frenzy. <laughs> it's like it doesn't fit at all. What you want most, you might use the crazy frenzy maybe to intimidate the enemy before you close. But once shield meets shield, the last thing you want is that. What you want is discipline. That's what's going to win the day. You don't want anybody to cut and run. You don't want anybody to jump forward and be like, I'm the crazy hero. I'm going to slash you now. You want everybody to stay in their place. And everybody supports everybody else. Right. That's how you win with a shield wall. I completely agree with everything you're saying.
1: What's interesting to me is, is I personally don't feel that those two ideas are in conflict. The idea of fighting in, in a disciplined formation in a shield wall, and also being in a frenzy. Okay. And the reason for that is, I think when when we read, I know that the idea that berserkers went into a frenzy per se is kind of kind of speculative in terms of berserkers in the Viking, uh, you know, setting. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we we'll get into that, yeah. It's not speculative at all in some other contexts. I mean, like certain in Irish tradition, absolutely there was a concept of going into what you might call battle frenzy and that's how it's translated. Yeah,
0: Cahulan has that. Sure.
1: Most of the European cultures, if you go back to their like early myths, they have a similar thing. Certainly there is in the classical world.
0: But do they fight in these tight formations? That's that's what
1: I'm saying though, is I think that the way we understand that when it's translated into English, because we don't have a good word for this concept. These are just things that we don't relate to. And we don't have a word for the kind of battle trance
0: or battle frenzy that's being talked about in these stories. But maybe they didn't either. Because what the word is, is Berserksganger. Mm-hmm. And that just means, Berserk means obviously Berserker, right? And then Ganger is like way of. Or like, and the movements of? Yes. So it's like the movements or the techniques of the Berserker. Exactly. It doesn't mean frenzy. doesn't suggest anything about... A rage doesn't suggest anything about going mad or going crazy. Exactly. And
1: that's the thing is that I I feel that when these stories from many of these cultures, including the berserkers, when they're put into English, we have to choose words that are imperfect. Mm -hmm. One of the words that's been used, okay, these guys are fierce. They're doing this, this almost superhuman level of combat out there. Well, it's like they go into a rage or some kind of frenzy. Well, that to us implies that you are just wild, that you can't control yourself. When someone goes into a rage as we understand the word rage in English, they are out of control,
0: right? That, yeah, that's what I mean when I say exactly. rage. And, that's and what, what I mean. I'm
1: suggesting yeah. is that if there was this concept of berserkers went into a special state, this berserk ganger is that what you call it? berserk Berserksganger. Yeah. Uh, similar to the Yeah. Similar to concepts in other cultures at that time, it's not clear that they are losing control of themselves. They may have been believed to go into a special state, but it might be more like a trance. It might be more like a state of flow. It might be more like being in the zone. It might be the simple act of, like, these guys are not just fighting in a shield wall, discipline like all the rest of our warriors. These guys are the kinds of guys who, when their shoulder gets spliced by a spear, they barely feel the pain because they have so much adrenaline. They keep fighting. These guys mm-hmm. are the kinds of guys who, uh, when the enemy is outnumbering them and they see people going down on their left flank, they don't break the line and run. They stay to the last, you know? Mm-hmm. This idea of, like, they are sort of almost fighting in an unconscious way where they sort of, like, just... Not out of their mind with rage or lack of control, mm-hmm. but sort of like trancing out and just so focused that they're not like, going to stop until In the over. zone
0: is a good way to put it. That's how yeah. I would put it. Yeah. Okay. So now I see where you're going with that. And that's actually where I was going with Oh, that's great. I love it. So, yeah. <laughs> so here... We should
1: compare notes more often. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so here, I'm going the direction that uh, Roderick Dale took it. Uh, so I, it was, everything's about Roderick Dale today. Right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, so his main thesis in his thesis is that what if the berserkers didn't go berserk at all? They had something more like what you were saying. And the things that they did, like the howling and the biting your shield and everything else, is not a symptom of a crazy state that they were in that was causing them to act mad. Hmm. What if instead these were techniques used to induce a particular mind state of hyperaggression and courage? That yes. would then help you in battle. And that kind of a mind state would, would be entirely conducive to the kind of actual disciplined fighting that you're talking about. Absolutely, It's getting yourself into the zone before battle starts. Yes. Because if you think about that original scene that we saw with Snickle, he does all of his berserker things before combat starts. Like he bites his shield... And, you know, and everything he does that while he's still on his horse. Yeah. And it specifically says that his helmets, like cheek guards were unfashioned. Right. 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 Yeah. And the only way that Greta is able to um, get the drop on him is by rushing forward before he's ready. He's not yes. yet psyched himself up yet. Yeah. So like he'd like got the drop on him. He's like, wait. <laughs> wait, I wasn't I wasn't ready to fight yet. I'm still getting myself psyched up. I'm still getting myself into the zone using my berserk the techniques of the berserker. Hmm. So in this sense, it's actually a lot more like when like Maori people in like a, a New Zealand soccer team before a soccer match do their haka dance. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like that where they're psyching themselves up. A, and B, trying to intimidate the opponents, you know. And if you think about another culture watching that and describing that, you it might really sound like these people are crazy, you know. They're, mm. like, hitting themselves and shouting loud and howling. But then, of course, once the soccer game starts, they're as disciplined as any other players on the field. Right. Yeah. It's just that they have this kind of, like, psyching themselves up kind of techniques. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree 100% with everything you just said. I'm going to take it farther, and I know that you're not going to come <laughs> farther with me. All right, okay. This is
1: often the difference between us. I like to go into the more speculative and more like, like let's be receptive. Maybe it really is what they said it was. And I think you're much more careful, okay. which is a good thing, about like, well, let's not speculate too much, right? right. But I'm going to take it a little farther, because I think that if all that berserking comes down to is like they had a way to psych themselves up and intimidate mm-hmm. their opponents yawn. I mean, like, <laughs> that's just not particularly different from any other warrior group in the ancient world. Every warrior group had special battle calls and they dressed a certain way and they wanted to intimidate the guy before the battle. <laughs> Everybody did that. Okay. Especially in the context of these were berserkers... It's not a term for all warriors in the Viking world. It's Mm -hmm. sort of a special class or type of warrior. Mm -hmm. It would imply to me that they are seen as going beyond the just general, like, let's get the men, get morale up and get a stirring, you know, speech or demonstration and, you know, moon the enemy and and get everybody (laughs) just feeling like, yeah, it goes beyond that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is, and I'm not suggesting anything spiritual or metaphysical here, not at all. Okay. Everything I'm talking about is material the human brain is capable of entering uh, a lot of different mind states. And, you know, the experience of going into a trance is a very real thing, even though trances don't really impart you with any supernatural powers. Mm -hmm. But when you go into a trance, first of all, there's often physical things you have to do to get yourself into that state. And secondly, you often are able to think, move, or feel differently than you would think, move, or feel if you weren't in that state. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just going to propose, this is not evidence, this is very speculative, but when I interpret that, that kind of ritual of like we're chewing on the shields, pounding on ourselves, howling, mm-hmm. possibly dressed in wolf and bear skins, possibly not, that this is not just designed to intimidate the opponent and get us fired up. This is a part of their training that's supposed to, de- that's designed to put them in a different mental state. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that is kind of how I mean, to me, the zone is not just you're playing at your best. The zone is where you're almost playing unconsciously. And sure. I remember in, in elementary school as a kid, I was terrible at sports and I hated <laughs> volleyball because it was a sport where you had to stand around doing nothing. And then suddenly the ball might come at you. So I was uh-huh. daydreaming every time. Right. <laughs> right. Every time the ball would come at me, I would miss the ball. And it didn't matter what kind of rousing speech the, the coach might give. It did, I mean, it wasn't on the team, the
0: gym teacher, I should say. But if you had the berserk skunger, you would have been focused. And
1: one time I did the <laughs> (laughs) berserk and this is what i'm getting at right
0: it's like my teammates could could chastise me it
1: didn't help Uh i could be taken aside and shown how to 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 bump the ball a certain way it did Uh not help but the one time that rather than suddenly realize you know it's always daydreaming so rather than snapping at me daydreaming and seeing the the ball coming at me and thinking oh my god what do i do and messing it up Mm -hmm. just one day i just i just didn't even snap out of the daydream. And just without even thinking about it, I didn't mm-hmm. even know I was doing this. I turned around and over my head backwards, hit the ball back over the net and scored a point. <laughs> and I was everyone was like, how did you do that? Like, wh- how did you kind of walk? I
0: was like, well, I,
1: I don't know. I could never do
0: it again. You know? Yeah. Well, any martial artist will, will explain that. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what they're going for. That's right. why they do the training to get it to that level of just like unconscious reaction where yes. your body just knows what to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't think that's that crazy at all to to take it that far. Yes. And an interesting part about that <laughs> is when you would describe how a berserker is fighting, if he's in that trance, how would you describe it? Probably not any different than any other warrior. It's just that he's really good at fighting because he's so in the zone, right? You're i not would... doing specifically different kinds of attacks. Right, know? that's true. Yeah. yeah, but my 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 point being right. that maybe the reason why this there's nothing in this in the sagas that suggests this is how they fight right. is because there's nothing outward that is a clear indicator that this is going on inside them yeah. other than that they're fighting really well We're fighting really well yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. that's and I that's,
1: and that's what i really I, I wish we did have stories from from before the christian period uh, describing how they conceived a the berserker because i wonder if there would be descriptions of how they yeah.
0: moved in battle or things like that but yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately if there
1: were that's been lost
0: yeah. yeah what we went through is the only one i know of that mm. could possibly give us that yeah so all right well we're getting toward the end of our episode here but the last thing that we should talk about before we close is how this dead idea died <laughs> so we've all pretty much I mean, it had its shield shot through its face <laughs> Jesus, <man>. <laughs> <Obviously>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we've already mentioned how the berserkers were associated with the old faith the heathen ways and in an age of Christianization, their days were just kind of basically numbered. Um, a few centuries into Christianization, you got this kind of culture war idea, I think at least in a propaganda game that sort of painted them as the baddies that needed to be defeated, kind of like any other monster in a, in a heroic epic. Um, and moreover, the picture of them starts to start to get obscured and you know, you get to the point where, you're not really sure what Berserker means. You know, Snorri is like, well, it sounds like naked-chested, you know, but at that point it could just be folk etymology, like you right. said. So things start to get confused and the the stories take on a momentum of their own and the genre of the Berserker character starts to bloom in these sagas. And so it might, it departs from what the real historical Berserker probably might have been, yeah. right? And as a part of that, in some of the stories... Uh, you do start to see, uh, like, their techniques for courage or being in the zone or entering a trance start to get reinterpreted as craziness, basically, mm. of them being actually mad. And the howling and the shield-biting makes them clearly look like monsters, and I don't think that was necessarily unintentional when you're right. in the battle as a real berserker, but in the context of the story, they look like baddies, you know? Um, and at that point... They're wild monsters. They need to be defeated by the Christian hero. And so that's kind of the role they ended up entering into in the culture. Now, this process might have interestingly been helped along by the situation that the last berserkers, the last historical berserkers, may have found themselves in. Uh, with a loss in status as more and more kings turned Christian and didn't really want pagan-associated berserkers hanging around their courts anymore. You know, they used to be in their armies. They used to be champions for them. But now it's like, eh, kind of like a liability. You're kind of bringing down my property value, having you, around, you know? <laughs> uh, they're like, okay, you're dismissed. Um, so a lot of berserkers might have really just found themselves out of work. Yeah. And how do you survive then? Not only that, but as we heard in the Grogos laws in Iceland, just after 1000 CE, going berserk was actually made illegal. So now okay. you now you can't go berserk legally. Mm-hmm. If you're going to continue being a berserker at all, you're going to be, you know, on the outskirts of society. Right. You'll be an outlaw in the sense of being exiled, be even being if you're an not an outlaw in the sense of committing crimes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that had to put them in a very particular kind of social context of being, yeah, just on the fringes of society trying to survive. Mm. And that tends to conduce to turning to a life of raiding and stealing.
1: Mm.
0: Now, once you start get that kind of a community going, where you're talking about a criminal group of people, you know, whatever you want to call them, consider the burkers of yourself. Their society considers them criminals. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, And they're raiding and they're looting. Uh, Scholar Patty Griffith points out that when you get that kind of a phenomenon going in a culture, what tends to happen is a crazy level of ferocity tends to rise to the top of the social hierarchy within that criminal group. (laughs) In the 60s, there was actually a study of Glasgow gangs. Okay. And um, it looked at like various factors and they found that the, the leaders of these gangs tended to be the most unstable and psychotic ones of the bunch. They just naturally rose to the top through their intimidation factor and, you know, everything else. So it's possible that the last generations of berserkers really did start to look kind of crazy because of what they were thrust into in terms of a social situation. Right. That could have fed into how they were depicted, too.
1: Hmm.
0: So they, they went from being
1: possibly champions of the king's court, at least specialized warriors... To being unemployed, to mm-hmm. being kind of like exiled, living at the fringes of society if they didn't give up their berserk ways, mm-hmm. to becoming... Uh, criminals and bandits Uh to becoming criminals and bandits where the most ferocious and and nuts ones rose to the top and developed horrible reputations exactly wow that's quite the arc (laughs) yeah wow yeah that's quite a twilight of the berserker (laughs) yeah and like to think like grandpa like sent dad to berserker school thinking like my kid will have a better life than i did and then like (laughs) two generations later you're just like an outlaw
0: yeah it was rough yeah. It's rough, <laughs> I tell you. <ya. laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe that's how eventually, centuries and centuries later, you end up with an image like the Dungeons and Dragons barbarian class or Conan the librarian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should end it there. Sounds great. That's our show for today, folks. Andre, thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Everybody, be sure to come back next time when we'll have lots of fun stories and snippets from real historical literature from the uh, medieval Viking period to give us a fuller picture of the Viking world in which the berserkers lived. Finally, I also wanted to point out that there's some bonus synchronicity going on in the podcastosphere because it turns out that Lee Akamando's Viking Age podcast, which is awesome by the way, is currently focusing on Iceland right now. And he his show is different than ours. It goes into a lot more of the, like, blow-by-blow, point-by-point, straight-up history. Mm. You know, this happened, then that happened, then that happened. So if you really love that kind of context and background and depth, that's the show for you.
1: Nice. Yeah. What's the name of that one
0: again? The Viking Age Podcast. The Viking Age Podcast. That should yep. be easy to remember. Yep. He's going to be on an, one of our episodes, too. we got oh, awesome. an interview with him. He's going to talk to us about why did the Vikings go a Viking in the first place. Hmm. Which would be one of our few little dips into the early Viking period. And, and the answer is not just booty. <laughs> All different kinds of <laughs> All booty. All kinds of booty. T- yeah. yeah, yeah right? that's a, that is a teaser to what to the theory, but I'm going to keep the rest of okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More than just one kind of booty. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is going to be epic. We're going to have an episode on stories from across the Scandinavian world. We're going to have a role-playing episode, or maybe even two, exploring the life of a berserker in the late Viking Age, an episode on the so-called shield maidens and other badass women in the Viking Age, and even an interview, like I was saying, with Lee Akamando on why the Vikings did what they did in the first place. And then we'll finish it off with a finale episode that's going to be epic. So it's going to be good. And if you haven't done so yet, get your review in on Stitcher to get your free portrait. I will draw you chomping your shield like it was effing cake. (laughs) (laughs) How about using a cake as if it's your shield? (laughs) You can have your shield and eat it too. I like that. Um, Actually, I have done a a Viking portrait before. It was was a dog, in fact. (laughs) Um, Nina instead won our Who Should Play Tito contest, and she was like, actually, can you draw my dog Floof instead? I was like, okay. (laughs) And she was like, can you make him a Viking? I was like, yes, I can. Does he have, like, an axe in his mouth that he's carrying? He's actually like right behind you. Oh, cool. Oh, <laughs> my God. that's beautiful. Wow, that's, that's really <laughs> yeah, good. You guys can see that on our supporters page on our website, www.deadideas.net. Yep. You can also support us on our Patreon. Anyway, we'll see you next time. I'm BT Newber again. This is Dead Ideas.